And we're going to take just a few minutes as we finish out our service uh, today. We're going to finish out our study in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, it won't be long because we don't have a lot of time, but I do want to share something with you today. We've been talking about waiting for Christmas. And so now here we are the day after Christmas. We're not waiting for Christmas anymore, but we kind of are. We kind of still are. Because the fact of the matter is, we are still waiting for Jesus to come. We are waiting for Him to come back and set things right in this world. We are waiting for Him to come and establish a kingdom that all the world will bow to, that, that righteousness will reign, that all of the things in our lives that feel so unfair and so broken and so wrong, we will have a king who makes sure that they are always right. There will not be the rebellion that we see today. And even more personally, we are waiting for Jesus to come because we've got stuff in our souls that is broken. We have wounds we have messes that we have made. We are waiting for Him to come and heal us, to rescue us from all that is devastating, from the threats that we face day in and day out. I think we've been more aware of the dysfunction of our world over the past few years. Maybe the past, I could probably say two years. I could probably say six years. I could probably say 20 years. I could, like, we've been more and more aware that our world is broken. And yet Christmas is supposed to be a time of peace on earth, of love overflowing, of warmth and family and home, generosity, caring. A time when collectively we all get together and we believe, we hope that someday it will be better. And this is all supposed to be rooted in a story of silent night, holy night. All is calm. All is bright, right? So there is this picture in our hearts of quiet and calm as salvation. Some of you with young children felt it yesterday. I just wish it would calm down, right? <laughs> calm. And that's supposed to be what saves us. If we can just get to calm, if we can just get to the settledness of hope that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds had when Jesus was born. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to be there in that silent night, that holy night, when everything was calm? Except it wasn't. It's a picture that we romanticize in our heads. What if, after Christmas is over, the problems in your life are still there? What if they chase you down anyway, even though Christmas happened? What if you came to church every week during the Christmas season and you believed that because you came to church, God was going to settle all these things out in your life and the miracle power of God was going to save you? But what if the next day there are still problems and there are still struggles? What if the pain hasn't gone away? What if my mess hasn't fixed itself? Interestingly, what we're going to look at as we finish this idea of Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2 is that the story from all of the, the, you know, we ended the scene last time with the wise men worshiping, presenting gifts, and it moves right into real trouble, real problems. So here's what I want to say today. If you or someone you know has trouble connecting to Christmas because of what has happened in their life or what is happening in their life, Today is a simple reminder and an invitation. 
Because Christmas is not so fragile or shallow or small that it's just about picture-perfect families and perfectly wrapped gifts and no fights on Christmas and everybody gets along. Christmas is not so fragile as to need that. As a matter of fact, if the only way you can embrace Christmas with festive uh, a joyful heart is that way, most of us are out. So I want to read the rest of chapter 2, or at least most of it, and give you one thought as we close out our Christmas celebration, because my hope is that we realize that Christmas is good news because it's in the middle of a mess. Not in spite of the fact, but because we're in the middle of a mess. So if you've got uncertainty and unanswered questions in your life, and you've been waiting for that to all get settled out, for you to finally see it clear, for you to finally know where you stand, in order for there to be peace in you, Christmas is the story for you. If you've suffered or are suffering and life has battered you and beaten you up, Christmas is good news for you. If you're aware, maybe more than ever, of how fragile life is, how many dangers surround you, Christmas is a story that happens right in the middle of danger. And yet it offers a powerful and enduring hope. Maybe when we come to Christmas, we shouldn't idealize it so much that we lose the power of it because one of the primary messages of the Christmas story is that our pain is not empty and pointless, that our Savior came for the lost causes among us, that He came for the most miserable among us, that He came for the people who can't seem to get out of their own way. The people who feel like something or someone is chasing them down. So let me pick up the story. Like I said, we ended last week with the wise men, the magi coming and opening gifts with uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We're going to pick up really literally the next verse, verse 12. It says this. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Right away we hear a sense of danger, right? Being warned not to go back to Herod. Why? Well, verse 13 keeps it going. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what our Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. This is not exactly silent night. All is calm, all is bright, is it? 
Literally, they go from the wise men presenting gifts to Jesus, and I'm sure Mary and Joseph being blown away by this act of worship, this recognition of this child, this miracle. And we saw earlier in chapter 1 an angel appearing to Joseph and giving him the insight on this is who the child is and this is what he's going to do. And right away, they're on the run. The wise men leave and Joseph is told in a dream to go to Egypt. There was a prediction that Matthew pulls in here from Hosea that the Savior would come to live in Egypt before coming to Israel. And there's lots we could go into on that. About how none of this was an accident. About how prophecies are fulfilled. About how unlikely it would be for one person to fulfill all those prophecies. We could go into all of that and it is incredible. But we're just going to note that this move to Egypt and this danger from Herod was not a surprise. And it wasn't just ticking off a box. Oh, well, God made prophecies, so we need to check the boxes off to make sure that Jesus does all the things. It wasn't just that. This was life or death. This was danger. You can feel it as Herod is furious, and he sends out orders of men to go to Bethlehem, but not just Bethlehem. To anyone around Bethlehem. Because Herod did what kings did. If there was a threat to their rule, to their power, eliminate it. So he said, go to Bethlehem. Any boy you find there that's two or under, kill him. Take him from his mother's arms, put him to death. And when you're done in Bethlehem, make sure you cut a wide berth around it to anyone near Bethlehem. Because it's something about this Bethlehem area that's a threat to me. Just in case one of those little boys grew up to fulfill the prophecy that a king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem. This is the story of the birth of the Messiah, of God's Son. The plan was, it always had been, for Him to be born and then to go on the run. This is a real-life struggle moving from Israel to Egypt. And not like, like, let's not romanticize that either. Have you ever moved with an infant or a toddler? With no time to pack? Just get up and go? Have you ever moved from one country to another and started your life over? Have you ever felt the threat of someone who was in power deliberately, intentionally trying to kill your son. This is the story that we read in the Word of God. So Joseph and his family wait in Egypt for an unspecified time. It says, until after Herod dies. And then God calls him back. And Joseph is waiting there. He's waiting for his family to be safe. He's waiting for his son to be safe. He's waiting for God to direct him back home. And so Jesus, the little boy, is not killed. Isn't that good news? It's the good news of Christmas, right? Isn't that the point that little children are safe? Isn't that always the point that we're safe? If you've listened over the last couple of years, we have heard again and again and again and again and again and again and again. The point is, keep everybody safe all the time. That's the point, right? But that's how we get messed up. Because the only way you think that the point is that Jesus is rescued and survives and is safe here is if you don't read the rest of the book. That's the only way you come to the conclusion that God's goodness is only seen 
when the little boy is safe. Because the point of this gospel, as well as the other three, is that Jesus needed to live here so he could die. And as you read the Gospel of Matthew, you start to notice how many times Matthew records Jesus talking about his own death. The book is filled with references that Jesus came to die. It starts just a chapter later in chapter 4, where he is in the temptation in the wilderness, and he goes 40 days and 40 nights without food. He is in physical duress. His life is literally hanging in the balance after going without food for that long. And the enemy comes to tempt him. And at the end of that temptation, he says, if you want to avoid what's coming for you, just bow down and worship me and I'll just give it all to you. Anything to avoid the death that Jesus came to die. And after that, Jesus starts talking about dying. We think when we read Matthew chapter 2, even if we we wind up reading the whole thing, he made it safely through Herod's threat and through the temptation. He's going to be okay. It's going to be all right, but he's not going to be okay, and it's not going to be all right. He's not going to be safe because he starts talking. Matthew chapter 10, he says to people around him, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Saying to them very clearly, hey, if you want to do what I do, you're going to have to pick up a cross. And there was no mistake what that meant, pick up a cross. Later in that same passage, he says, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. Then he starts getting a little bit more clear. He says in Matthew chapter 12, I will give you the sign of Jonah. He says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again, in Matthew 16, he gives them the sign of Jonah. And then later in that same chapter, it says he began to explain to his disciples that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And when he says that to his disciples, Peter says, Never, Lord! And Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus says, I'm going to be killed No, that's not the point. That's not the way this works, Jesus. You're the Savior. You don't die. You have to live. And Jesus says, that's how Satan talks. That's how we get so confused about this whole thing. Matthew chapter 17 tells someone he heals, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. He says to his disciples, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Later in this chapter 17, he says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. In Matthew chapter 20, he says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But on the third day he will be raised to life. Later in that chapter, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then in Matthew 21, he tells the parable of the tenants. And the point, part of the pinnacle of that story is that the owner sends his son to the rebellious tenants and they kill his son. In Matthew chapter uh, 26, the Passover, it says the Passover is two days away. And Jesus says, the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. 
Later in that same chapter, a woman comes and pours perfume on him. And Jesus says, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Matthew chapter 26, the Last Supper, he gives a picture of his death. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And in Matthew 27, Jesus dies on a cross, a horrifying death. You see, the story of Matthew is not about the birth of Jesus, the end. The story of Matthew is about God at work. And sometimes that means that we are rescued, and sometimes it means that we are not. And there is hope, and there is power, and there is life, not because of what happens, but because of who holds us. Because of the Savior that was born that day. This Christmas story, this miracle birth, followed quickly by a story of danger and death. Just when you think you get it. Just when you think as a believer, I'm following God and I get it. I know how this deal works. I know how God saves. Christmas shows us God saves in ways that surprise us, shock us, even offend us. We realize that God saved Jesus from death here so he could die a later death. And that death would offer power and profound salvation to the world. I believe in the depths of my soul that we all know our need for saving. I don't think there's any person who thinks that deep down in their soul, they got it. They may hope that they can. And they may chase it all their life. Some people think if I go fast enough and hard enough, I'll finally reach that peace on earth or all is calm. I'll finally get there. Some people think if I worry hard enough, if I keep my radar turned on max all the time for all the threats and dangers, for all the possible things that I could be wrong about or that could go wrong, finally I'll get to some place where I've sorted it all out. Some people just give up. There's no way I can save myself, so it doesn't even matter, so whatever. I don't even believe in anything. I think it's just we're just here. But the reality is we're all responding to this thing inside of us that we need to be saved. And yet we are not able to save ourselves. It's almost like it's almost like this. Like the air itself is poison. And in order to save yourself, you're trying to teach yourself to not have to breathe. That's how hopeless it is to try to save yourself. Uh, You may know the problem, but you can't fix it. And in trying to fix it, you'll kill yourself anyway. We are incapable of saving ourselves. So Jesus came and survived Herod so that decades later he could stand in front of another Herod and then die for you and me. That is the Christmas story. So, no, Christmas is not for the picture perfect. When when the season is over and we go back to real life, we need to remember that Christmas is not shallow and fragile. It's not for the perfect who have their lives all together, who have the perfect family and have never done anything wrong or never really made a mess, people who have no regrets. Christmas is not that weak. It's for the lost. It's for the hopeless, it's for the hurting, it's for the messes, it's for the failures. And it offers them life through a Savior that is born. It offers them life to be rescued from death at the hands of a king. I mean, 
by giving ourselves to the King, it offers us life because He died as our King. And when we follow Him, we follow Him in the trust that He did with His Father, the trust that He gave to His Father, following Him even to a cross. So here's the deal. As we close out Christmas this morning, I'm praying that we all let the Lord show us how our King saves us. How He enters into our pain so we can be healed. How He takes on our punishment so that we can be saved. How He loves us enough to leave heaven, to come as a baby, born to die. I pray that we get it. And then I pray that we follow Him. That we trust Him with our lives and we give Him everything. Because we want this world to be a different place, don't we? Do you know how God changes the world? When God changes me. And then I share it with someone else and God changes them. And they share it with someone else and God changes them. That's how God changes the world. That's how the world was changed when Christianity swept over the globe. One soul at a time. So we follow Jesus humbly and without reservation. And when we do, He changes people. That is the hope for this world, just like that's the hope for our lives. And so all I'm saying to us today is, Christians, this is what we get to share as we follow Him. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't trusted Him, this is who died for you so that you can be whole and healed. And I pray you will give him your life today. Let's close our service in a word of prayer. If you want to pray with someone after the service, I would be glad to pray with you. Just come right up here, introduce yourself to me, or shake my hand and let me know. We'll pray together right here before you even leave today. Let's close. Father, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for this celebration. And I pray that you would just do this work in us, that you would open our eyes to see how Christmas is much deeper and stronger than we have made it sometimes. In our hopes of celebrating, we have washed away some of the depth and the power. So, Father, renew it in us. Let us embrace it. And, Father, help us to share it. Give us opportunities this day, this week, to speak life to someone else as we offer them the hope that comes from trusting in this Savior that was rescued from the hands of a king so he could die as our King. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.